Hello and welcome to the latest Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast, which is rated one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by Green Finance Guide. Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in sustainable finance. And as part of this podcast series, we will be speaking to and learning from some of the leading global figures in the field. My name's Rosie Alsop. I'm Communications Director at Guernsey Finance. We're the promotional agency for Guernsey's financial services industry. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Abhishek Dhawan, who is a Sustainable Finance and Partnerships Specialist at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome, Abhishek. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Rosie. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, let's kick off. Can you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the work that you do at the UN Capital Development Fund. Thank you, uh, Rosie. So let me start by talking about what UN Capital Development Fund is about. UN Capital Development Fund is a unique UN agency um, headquartered in New York with the objective of serving the least developed countries. Um, and, And our work spans both development and finance. As you can see uh, in our title, it's Impact Capital for Development. And and over the last few years, UNCDF has taken pride in developing innovative blended finance vehicles that can help solve some of the most difficult uh, developmental problems using finance uh, as a vehicle. Uh, especially in in the least developed country contracts. My background is, as far as my background is concerned, I've spent about 21 years spanning financial markets, working for banks like Standard Chartered, uh, as well as in the space of climate change, working for organizations like Climate Work Foundation uh, India Office, uh, as well as here at UN Capital Development Fund in financial markets, but also uh, in, in climate change mitigation and adaptation. My work at UNCDF spans partnerships, but also uh, creating new vehicles that can solve difficult problems. And and what we're going to talk about today is is part of that work that I'm doing here for the last four years. Thank you very much. So what we're basically going to focus on today is the climate insurance linked resilient infrastructure financing, uh, catchily titled, but reduced down to SILRIF. And that's a new approach to climate resilience. Um, can you tell me, Abhishek, what's the difference to the existing insurance solutions and what are the advantages of this new approach? Sure. So existing solutions, as, as we know from, from the recent events, especially in here in the US, in, in California, et cetera, we know that there are insurance solutions primarily directed at homeowners to to help them recover from extreme climate events. But what we have seen and and more recently is that the insurance premiums have gone up dramatically uh, for those products. The products that exist in the market are annually renewed. So so you you buy uh, a climate insurance, the premium will reset next year, up or down. And so that, that brings in a lot of uncertainty for the buyers. It also brings in a lot of uncertainty for the sellers. What we are trying to do with Silrif is looking at other markets, things like project finance, which are which are more long term in nature and trying to learn from them and see how we can adapt it into the space of climate finance to look at a a long term fixed price climate insurance product that can then be 
repriced to take into consideration reduce risk or change risk if cities invest and this product is not directed at homeowners but more at cities to reward them for reduce risk if they end up investing in resiliency so think of it more like a health insurance product but a long-term health insurance product and if you exercise the insurance premiums get reduced that's a really interesting concept um and you know as we know climate change is an evolving challenge how does Silrif take into account the uncertainty and the variability associated with climate-related risks over the long term? Sure, and I think that's the problem we are really trying to solve for. So let me look at it from two different perspectives. First of all, the risk that we'll encounter over the next few years is already in our environment. At least that's what the scientists in the Silrif working, voluntary working group have mentioned. What they're saying essentially is that what we do today or in the next 10 years or 15 years would have a very limited impact on how climate really changes over the next 20 to 30 years. The events that are going to occur in the next decades are probably the result of the last 300 years of our actions. The products in the market for climate insurance are supposed to be pricing the risk correctly. And if they are pricing the risk correctly, then even an annually re renewed product is incorporating the risk of climate events expected in the future. Now the challenge with that is the first question is whether they are doing so, but if they're doing so, then the long-term fixed price products would not be very different in terms of pricing from an annual perspective. So let me explain through an example. If it costs you $100 in annual premiums to buy a one-year climate insurance, if you're going to take a 15-year climate insurance, your annual premium should maybe go to 105 or 110 and not go to 200 but you could be logged in for a longer time. What it does is that if you go long-term, it sets a baseline. And then when a city invests in resiliency, the premiums come down. And as the city knows what the baseline was, they can make a case for such investments in resiliency. However, with the current approach of annual pricing of insurance, that's not possible because the baseline changes every year and you have no control as a buyer on that baseline. Interesting, so how do community engagement and stakeholder involvement play a role in the design and implementation of, of Silver projects? So we spent almost now almost three and a half years and we created a voluntary working group of individuals representing different stakeholders who believed in finding a solution to this problem. And we've been meeting almost on a monthly basis to discuss the problem and come up with this, this solution that we, that we are talking about today. This took, and, and this involves people representing the insurance industry, the investors, so pension funds and asset managers, couple of cities, aid agencies, and consulting firm as well as engineering firms who all will have different roles to play if this product were to be in, developed and then implemented. So let me talk a little bit about what the role different players have roles role in. So insurance industry really has to think about how can they price a long-term insurance? Because that is not something which exists. And, and what we learn is that the current models might not be ready to, to do so. So we need to look at other industries to look at where, where else are we pricing long-term risk without no, having a full certainty on that. 
And let me take an example from more recent times in the financial markets. We all know that Federal Reserve has increased interest rates over the last 18 months dramatically, yeah. right? And many banks, is even in, in, in a developed market like US, were caught off guard. And so was it complete uncertainty? Was, the, was there a way to price that risk, the interest rate risk? Yes, there was. There is an interest rate risk curve which prices interest rates and which banks and other financial institutions use to, to benchmark their investments or assets. But that is uncertain still, right? It is as uncertain as a flood. <laughs> Uh, so, so we we can look at those kind of markets and see if we can adapt or learn from those markets, which are uncertain, but at the same time we price those products still, and and see how we can adapt it to the insurance industry. But also, investors can look at to price climate risk. That's so interesting. So, further to that, what role do governments uh, and international organisations in the private sector play in promoting and supporting uh, SILRIF initiatives? The role that so there will be different levels of roles that um, different organisations will have to play. The first role would be um, for donors to look at this approach and see if 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 this fits into their objective of making the planet more resilient. And what about what, what I'm trying to say is that we worry a lot about future losses due to climate events. And, and the objective of this approach is that those are already there. So the only thing we can do about that is to make communities more resilient. But we need to incentivize them to invest in resiliency. And there are multiple challenges on, on why there is less incentive to, to invest in resiliency. And I can talk about a couple of them, which we've learned over the course of last three years of these discussions is first of all, there is so much uncertainty on future events. So stakeholders have limited incentive investing in resiliency or investing in projects that will improve their resiliency because they don't know if that those are good investments and and their shareholders will like that right so institutions as well as governments are always thinking about i'm going to make this hundred dollars of taxpayers money into a seawall but we don't know if the seawall will ever be used right so there is less incentive to make that investment yeah and if we don't make those investments, but if the events happen, then the cities or, or, or communities will actually have to pay more than what they would today at that point to recover. And they will not be prepared for a recurring of the same event again. But that's very difficult to make a case to, to taxpayers as well. So this approach hopefully will try and put a number of, of impact on the on the impact that that happens when you make that investment. Yeah. Secondly, stakeholders also because they they have a four year five year cycle in their roles, it's difficult for them to think about a fifteen year or a twenty year investment because it doesn't the return on their investment would not show during their term. Yes, yeah, and I can see that that's an issue. Absolutely. So in, in what ways can Silrif help bridge the gap between infrastructure needs 
and available financial resources, particularly in developing countries. So how Silrif intends to fill the need is essentially by trying to find a way to reward communities that invest in, in climate resiliency, which means that their risk is getting reduced, essentially. And when risk gets reduced, then investors have more incentive to invest. The big challenge is putting a value to the risk. Because right now, whether it's in developing countries or in developed countries, in most communities, the investors are pricing risk purely on credit ratings or primarily on credit ratings. And credit ratings have, it is very difficult to sort of incorporate climate risk in credit ratings and differentiate com one community from another community if the credit rating is the same. So let's take an example of, of say United States where United States has a credit rating and any city in United States goes to borrow money from the market it will probably get the same pricing. Now, we all know that the risks in certain communities is much more than others. Let's say in more inland communities, less compared to the cities which are more surrounded by water. But the pricing doesn't reflect that. It also doesn't reflect if two communities which are both uh, next to the water, but one city has taken the initiative of investing in climate adaptation vis-a-vis -vis other city. And this approach will solve for that problem because the city that that is doing more investments in adaptation or is is clearly figuring out what are the kind of climate events they can expect over the next 15 20 years and then in a very strategic manner design their adaptation programs that will reduce that specific risk wow so <clears throat> risk assessment is a crucial part of climate insurance linked financing. So how are those risks evaluated and how can potential investors be convinced of the effectiveness of the insurance mechanisms? Um, and, and maybe more generally, um, can we talk about how can we attract more private investment to support climate resilient infrastructure? Sure. So. In, in, in our conversations with investors or asset managers, when we speak to them about how are they pricing for climate risk, most of the time the answer is that it's more of a thumb roll, right? It depends on individual to individual, how they, how they look at a particular uh, transaction and then how much credit or debit they do to the risk premium for that particular transaction based on the information being provided by the, the borrowing entity. With Silrif, what we would be doing is we would work with engineering firms and, and private sort of evaluators so, so that we have a third party mechanism of defining the resiliency interventions, working in close discussions with both insurance provider and asset manager. So, so the insurance companies that will provide the insurance for, for for such a product and asset managers who want to invest in those communities, define the resiliency interventions, and then a third party will go and validate the value of the resiliency once it is implemented. And then validate it vis-a-vis -vis the baseline or the original expectation of the reduced risk. So let's let's take, take an example. So let's say a city, I, I can use the example, let's say New York City, 
is looking to buy insurance from extreme events like Sandy for the next 20 years. They will come and sit down with the insurance company and investors who invest in bonds of, of the city and then together define what are the two or three or four initiatives that the city needs to invest in the next three years, which will help the city reduce climate risk from those sandy kind of events. That will also help define what is the price of the 15 year or a 20 year insurance product that will protect the cities or certain infrastructure within the city when such an event happens, <laughs> right? What kind of payout will happen, etc. So it will be a co-creation of a product as well as resiliency interventions. And then we will start pricing the value of those interventions. So let's say New York City wants to build a, a, a wall around the Hudson. We will look at how much will the financing costs reduce for the city when that wall is up and running based on, on, on certain model modeling exercises that will be undertaking at the beginning. Once the, excess, once the wall is there, we will provide them the benefit, but we might not have a perfect answer in the first transaction. It will be an iterative process. As we start doing those transactions, we will then take, take those products and try to sell them to the market in tranches. And, and that will also help us understand where is the market pricing vis-a-vis -vis what the models are pricing in terms of reduced risk. And that will create a new market essentially for pricing of climate risk, just like you have a, a market on, on interest rate risk. Right. So you've got some initial cities lined up to trial this. Um, can you talk about those a little bit and what you hope to see from those initial programs there? Maybe walk us through how the program would work in a given city. Sure. So we, we've been in, in engaged with a couple of cities, but one conversation has been more evolved. So I'll talk more about that with, with the city of Makati, which is part of the Manila metropolitan region. And what we are trying to do with them is that they have flood risk from, from extreme flooding events. And we, have, we are looking at the data from, from a 200-year, 100-year, 50-year, and a 10-year flood cycle and use those events to price an insurance product for them to do a payout as well as... So the insurance will normally has two kinds of products in, in such scenarios. One is a parametric insurance and one is an indemnity insurance. The parametric insurance is really a payout, a lump sum payout when an event that is defined happens. So which helps the city sort of make emergency response, right? So relocating people, building some, some really key investments immediately, etc. Indemnity insurance will be used for infrastructure that is in the city's sort of uh, governance uh, framework that needs to be rebuilt when over a, say next six months. So let's say that there are certain key buildings that get, get impacted due to flooding, but it's not an emergency. And that payout will happen say over the next three to six months based on evaluation by independent evaluators. So that's how the insurance product will work. Now, so first we have to define what are the buildings which will be covered, what is the parametric insurance payout, whether we want to cover from a for a 50-year flood cycle, 100-year flood cycle, 200-year flood cycle, because the insurance premium will depend on, on what the city is defining and its ability to pay, right? And then we will look at 
working with the city and the insurance company will look at what are those three, four investments that the city will need to make, which will make it more resilient. And let me take an example. So for example, there is flooding on the roads that, that occur when, when such a flooding event happens, which impacts vulnerable community. So we will look at defining which are the roads where the, the damage is the most from the past events and then how if we were to elevate them further would it reduce flooding or whether we make the drainage system wider whether it will reduce flooding look at how much it will cost to do so and then get the city to agree to it working with the modelers we will then look at how will it impact the premium of insurance so whether there will be a 50 basis 100 basis reduction in 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 premium when city has made those investments we will also assess with the city its financing needs for say next five years and do the same exercise with that. So let's say the city borrows at 10% today, but once the city has invested in those elevated roads or, or broader drainage system, how much would that pricing go down to once those, so this is what we are doing with them, defining these, these things and, and working with different teams within the city to come up with that answers to these questions because one of the key challenges that we have learned working with cities is that there are different departments making different interventions but they don't necessarily talk to each other in a very strategic manner and i'll give you an example of of that so for example it has been difficult to find out how much did the city have to sort of how much money did the city need when it was impacted by a similar event in the past to relocate people. We don't have that answer. We also don't have the answer to how much, what was the, what was the mechanism used by the city when it decided to elevate certain key road systems within the city's uh, uh, sort of geographical span and, and what went behind it. How did they make that decision? With this approach, we are we might not have answers to those, but we are using some scientists and an engineering firm to define that now. So going forward, the city will have those answers, but they don't exist right now because different teams don't talk to each other. So with this approach, what has happened is they have brought together a group from multiple stakeholders that are working together. So interesting. So how can sort of contribute to achieving broader sustainability goals and does it contribute to climate change mitigation objectives as well? So we definitely are contributing or hope that Silverif will contribute to broader sustainability goal because I think we are looking at it from a very adaptation standpoint and and we know that you know there is mitigation there is there, there is uh, adaptation the focus has been on adaptation because we feel that there is a lot of work happening on mitigation and adaptation has not been a big priority over the last few years and that's that's fine it's there's nothing wrong with that we start at some point and we go to the next point our focus is when we say sustainability i think we are looking at sustainability of cities from the perspective of long term in in, in their ability to respond to extreme climate events that we know are going to happen. And that's the main contribution. Now, what we have also learned in, in the last few, three, four years, we've been working on it, on, on this exercise is that there is a lot of con confusion around what are the mitigation uh, interventions and what are the adaptation interventions that cities are making. 
and sometimes there is overlap. So some some of the interventions. So, so let's say we talk about mangroves a lot, right? And mangroves is one of the the intervention that can be both on mitigation and adaptation. So mangroves could be is definitely helping the city be, remain more green, which is a mitigation element, right? So less less em, uh, emissions. It is also an adaptation intervention because it could reduce flooding in the city. And so Silrif with Silrif, the resiliency intervention that we talk about in Silrif could mean investing in mangroves because it will reduce flood risk for the city. So, and that can have a, that can be also measured against mitigation, but the thinking is more focused on resiliency. So we will focus on what are the interventions that will make the city more resilient, but that could have a co-benefit on the mitigation side. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Uh, but thank you so much, Arashek, for your time and for your insights. It's been fascinating to learn about Silrif. And um, thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. We have quite a back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast channel. And you can check those out by searching for Sustainable Finance Guernsey, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review or a comment. We love to get your feedback. You can also find us at sustainablefinanceguernsey.com and weareguernsey.com. And you can interact with us on Twitter at sfguernsey and at weareguernsey. Uh, you can hear more news and developments relating to uh, what ha- what's happening in Guernsey's finance industry. You can check out the We Are Guernsey podcast on your preferred platform. And we will also have links to Abhishek and the UNCDF in our show notes as well. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast. And until then, it's goodbye from Guernsey.